You're listening to the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Vacation Rental Formula's own Virtual Vendor Showcase. The Virtual Vendor Showcase is a virtual online exhibitor hall, giving you the opportunity to browse products and services that may be of value to you and your business, all with video testimonials from people who have used a product or service and talk about how their business has been transformed because of it. Head across to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash VVS to find out more. Now, let's get started. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. In this episode, I am talking to Alana Mile. She is an entrepreneur. She's a humanitarian. She's spent time in Africa and Central America doing humanitarian aid work. And I wanted to talk to her about how she came into vacation rentals and is now an up-and-coming vacation rental manager in Lincoln City, Oregon. It's a really interesting conversation, so listen in. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and as ever, I am delighted to be back with you. Do you know why I say that every week? And I actually am. I love doing these episodes every single week for, oh my goodness, nearly seven years. Actually, it's over seven years now. I have been sitting down and creating a new episode for every week. I think I've missed one and... Yeah, not sure what happened. I think I had a little bit of a family issue uh, a year or so back and Mike took over and was able to carry on. And and I think we have repeated one episode because of another occasion when I wasn't actually able to uh, to make it. But that's really not bad. You know, we're, we will be coming up to episode 400 in, I think it's July. It's just after my birthday, which incidentally is July the 25th. And I can't wait for that because I love birthdays. And I will be delivering the 400th episode just a few days after that. So we're trying to figure out what to do, what's going to make the 400th episode just amazing. I like milestones. I think milestones are, are, are great. They sort of map out Milestones have always mapped out how my life has gone, usually because having been a military wife for 35 years, it was a pretty usual milestone that every three years or less, we would move from one place to another. My life has been mapped out by these sort of junctures. And this 400th episode is is going to be one of them. And I'd really like your input as to what can I do to make it really special? You know, I could if I could find somebody amazing to interview, but then everybody I interview is amazing. So, you know, I don't want to get somebody who I, I think stands out from the rest because a lot of you are going to say, no, you know, I prefer that person or that person. I could do a panel. I'm sort of leaning towards some sort of giveaway. I haven't, I haven't shared this with Mike yet, but I'm leaning to some sort of giveaway because we have talked about so many of our vendors over time. And now we've got the virtual vendor showcase. Part of me is thinking maybe we should just have a focus on that part of our industry and just make it a vendor episode and have some giveaways. I don't know. Let me know. Let me know if you've got some ideas. I would love to hear from you. So as I've mentioned before, I am focusing on some of the great women in our industry over the next couple of months. And there are some amazing, amazing women, so many of whom I've I've already interviewed. And I think at, I'm, I'm going to be making a list of all those terrific interviews that I've done and um, I'm publishing that in the next week or two. I first heard about Alana Mile from her husband, Adam Creighton. And he wrote me this most amazing email telling me all the things that Mile, and she goes by Mile, not Alana, uh, telling me all the things that Mile has done over 
you know, in the course of her lifetime. And it was just fascinating. So I'm going to include a part of that in the show notes so you get a good understanding of Miles' biography. Because most of the conversation is actually focused on how she has gone from just managing her own properties to now having 15 third-party properties under her wing with the good likelihood of having another five over the next couple of months. And also how she's now turned to real estate as a realtor to help her build up her business. And it's all about community. It's about being hyper-local. And I loved every minute of this discussion. So let's go straight on over there and hear from Alana Mile. Well, I'm delighted to have with me today Alana Miel, and she hails from Lincoln City, Oregon, one of my favorite places. I love the occasions when I can get to Oregon. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Miel, we, we call you Miel rather than your first name, right? Yes, that is correct. How did that come about? My mother liked it as a middle name, Alana Miel, and so I've always gone by Miel. And then when I uh, divorced a decade ago, I, um, I, or after a decade of, of uh, having changed names, I, I dropped the last name entirely and just went with Alana Miel, uh, which had been my first and middle name originally. Right. Okay. But I've always, always gone by Miel for my entire life. Okay. I, I love it. It's a lovely name. I like, Thank you. like four letter name. Yes. <laughs> so simple, simple, but not simple. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've sort of come across you a lot over the, although I didn't realize it was you. <laughs> because I didn't connect the Miel with the Alana that I'm seeing on the Facebook group. So that, that, was, that was great to make that connection. But it was, in fact, your husband who contacted me and said, this is the lady that you should interview. And I was absolutely entranced, actually, by your backstory. So you've got to give us a little bit of, of the backstory. You know, I don't know how we can encapsulate an experience in Africa and humanitarian aid in just a few minutes, but I'm going to give you that challenge. Yes. Well, um, you can, you can uh, look back at my very last trip to Africa, which is in, which was in Uganda in the fall of 2018. And I took with me a five week old at the time and we stayed for three weeks and got a um, over two, two million pound proposal for, of echo funding. Um, but while I was doing the humanitarian work, I was also responding to Airbnb in the middle of the night, dealing with crises, dealing with uh, all of the things that were happening at home. Meanwhile, the same on a, on a, trip the summer before we were in Hamburg and, and Amsterdam, responding to guests, dealing with things as if nobody had any idea that we were in Europe and responding at whatever time that we got pinged in the middle of the night. But that's what it takes. Um, I spent a decade of, uh, of time in DC as uh, working in the humanitarian field. And during that time, I was a long-term landlord. Um, so I got used to it uh, during that time. And I remember, you know, ordering washer or you know ordering a replacement washer dryer from a hammock in Costa Rica over Thanksgiving or recruiting new tenants from Africa and interviewing them when I got off the plane and you know dealing with challenges from wherever I was in the world people didn't know you know you could deal with things from wherever it's it's actually easier to remote host than you would think. Um, although I don't make it sound very glamorous. It's not always fun to get woken up in the middle of the night or deal with somebody's remote control issue um, from the other side of the world. But um, it's still the, the skills of being a humanitarian have definitely taught me how to deal with crisis, handle difficult situations, uh, realize when something's important, deal with you know critical issues when they do happen. Um, all of the skills from being a Peace Corps volunteer and um, all my years as a nomad and as a traveler have served me in hosting and providing good hospitality. We are obviously very accomplished in that in that area, and and you as you say you bring a lot of that to the work you're doing at the moment. So, so tell us how you got actually into the vacation rental business. Yeah, so it actually started a decade ago. Um, today is the um, 10 year anniversary of my father's passing, unfortunately. And we, uh, my twin sister and I, as a result of him passing, were thinking of how we could honor him and um, use the small inheritance that we had. And so uh, nine years ago, we started building two small cabins in the Olivia Beach community. 
And they were the small entry level cabins at the time we were 34. So we were the very youngest owners of this community that's a, a little bit more on the you know, established uh, side, shall we say. And so we built in these tiny little cabins. And then basically I, start, I started self-managing them six years ago after the initial property management company just didn't perform. And we were basically faced with a choice of either taking it on ourselves and, and deciding to do that or realizing that we wouldn't make enough money to cover our expenses and we would need to sell. Um, so at that point, I uh, we gave notice and I moved across the country from Washington, D.C. back to Oregon, initially to Portland and managed th things from there up until the pandemic, basically. And so we were back and forth between Portland. And when the pandemic hit, we already had a full-time place on the park and transitioned here full-time. And now we're no longer in Portland. But I basically took the success that I had from the cabins and was recognized by other fellow homeowners. Initially, I had the idea when taking over our cabins that there would that if we were being served so poorly by the property management available that it made sense that other larger homes were also having the same struggles. But I also wanted to establish all of the systems that take to, mm -hmm. to run a successful hosting business. So I took, um, we basically took three years before I built and started hosting for anybody else. And by that time, I had turned our cabins from being um, negative in profit for the first couple of years, um, up to six figures for two small cabins. And then um, within my first year, I turned around both of the first two properties that I had and then just have um, cascaded since then. We are just over three years old and we have 15 homes. And by the end of the summer, I expect to have 20 or more. Um, so we're right at a very much a scaling scaling place. And it's nice to be in the position where we're at, but it comes with a lot of work as well. So we're glad to be where we're at. So can you go back to that first property you took on or the first couple of properties, uh -huh. you know, people yeah. often ask, you know, how do I, ha you know, it, it's that it's tough to get that first yeah. step in the business to convince somebody that they could, they should take a gamble on you basically. Cause that's what they're doing. Can you, can you recall yeah. how you got that first one? Yeah. It actually links into what I'm doing today as well um, by getting into real estate on the sales side. So my first two clients, one of them uh, basically sat next to me at an HOA meeting and we were, you know, discussing, discussing business, shall we say. And he basically showed disappointment in his management company. And, and when he heard how much money we were making on the cabins, uh, which at that point was about 110,000 for two small cabins, he in the same year had, had done 14,000 for his three bedroom home. And he said, what are you doing? I can, can you do it for me? Because uh, he said, not only am I not making money, but things are, you know, he gave all the litany of your normal complaints about not managing things and not taking care of small issues and such. And he had also had his home on the market for two years. So he said, look, it's been on the market. It's been stagnant. Everybody who asks for numbers, they nobody will buy because they look at the numbers and realize that it's not an asset that will cover its own expenses based on its current um, business model. And therefore they end up not, not making an offer. So he said, at worst case scenario, you take over management. I I'll take it off the market. You take over management. And if you run it well and give me good numbers, then if I sell in a couple of years, then I'll have achieved my goal and I'll mm -hmm. be better off than I am today. And I said, I, I think I, I can definitely do better than where you're at now. I, I had no doubt about that. And I was you know interested in working with him. And so um, indeed, 14 months after starting to manage him, his books had turned around to make more than he'd made in a decade with the home before that. And he got a cash offer out of the blue from somebody who knew that he'd been on the market the year before. Um, and those owners that bought from him uh, two years ago, I still manage for them as well. Oh, that's perfect. So what is it? that you're doing? I mean, are you, are you prepared to give away these secrets? Yeah. Well, I think honestly, my first thing, it's hard to, it's hard to judge, but I, I care and I treat homes and people and guests as, you know, very personally. And I deal with each situation if it does come up with as much, you know, mm -hmm. problem solving and tact and, and fairness and, and all of those things combined. And I think that, but that makes a difference when you don't incentivize somebody to perform or to care, then then it's it, it makes it very hard to, you know, no, nothing. You don't get anything else right if you don't care about the situation, I feel. So I think that that's um, a big thing. And then just being local and being very niche um, as we got started. You know, I had even personal friends who have a beautiful place that I fell in love with the place. It's fabulous. It's up um, not very far away from us. It's less than an hour. But I was like. 
oh, you know, I just had to say no. I had to say no. This is my niche. Like, it, this is I can't separate my energies between this and that, or I'll end mm-hmm. up deluding myself, or you know, running after you know some shiny object that doesn't really make sense. Like, I'm better off serving my community and being within it, um, and really focusing on this and providing a high level of service to a concentrated area rather than you know expanding to further on the coast that would complicate my operations and not really add value to my clientele. Yeah, I like the idea of of defining a niche and and mm-hmm. then staying staying within it and not being swayed, as you say, by the shiny object <laughs> outside. Yeah. So, but was care enough? You know, to he he you'd taken him from fourteen thousand a year mm-hmm. to obviously a lot more than that. There must have been yeah. other things that you were doing to increase that bottom line. Um, I think one of the one of the big things is um, manipulation of prices and managing the calendar well um, and trying to to maximize revenue. One of the early tricks that I learned that I that I do different than many of the other places in on the coast, particularly vacation rentals and and particularly now in, in within COVID as well, I still allow it, which is two night rentals on the weekend. So I really increase my prices on the weekend and then have more of a difference between the week and the weekend. And I allow that two night booking because if you search on the Oregon coast for a two night booking, you won't see anyone else. Uh There's nobody else with a two night booking. So if you're looking for just the weekend, you'll see all my places, but you won't see anyone else's and you'll pay more because you'd rather, you just can't afford to take that extra night. Um, And the demand for those two nights makes it, makes it on cost average that you end up making, making more money by doing that. And I do other things like manipulating the middle of the calendar so that it either forces a two night or a three night. So you can kind of slip between that, some different calendar settings and things like that, that help to manipulate it and to pay attention um, and fill that vacancy. The other thing that I've learned is particularly getting money in the off season and maximizing that revenue and also adding where you can by by prompting getting more Thursday and Sunday rentals, mm-hmm. by getting longer rentals, you end up making more money by offering it as an add-on if you have an extra gap night. Last year, we had tons of gap nights because of required gap nights. So I maximized that by offering, you know, here, you know, before and after, would you like to add a night? Things like that that can help with the off-season where you're not as likely to make as much money on that, but the person who's already there is going to get more value and appreciate it to stay longer. Um, so it ends up being a win-win on both sides. But in our small cabins, I definitely learned that tweaking the prices and, and maximizing the occupancy makes all the difference. We went my first month of managing by myself. Uh, I actually did better in January than we'd ever done in the summer by simply keeping the calendar full. And mm-hmm. that's what I did. So do you um, use so, a platform for that or are you doing it manually? I'm doing it manually right now. I have tried basically every 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 what tool out there. I've tried at some point. I'm tempted to try one again potentially, but I'm uh, I've also tried and, and not been mm-hmm. in love with lots of the or I feel like I end up doing so much manip- manipulation to get back to the same price that I feel is accurate that I feel like I've done all the work for it. I feel like any of those tools, if you don't know the market, then mm-hmm. it's hard to use them because you honestly don't know um, without some experience, I feel, um, within a particular market and, and what the threshold will handle, either up or down. Yeah, it was interesting as well to hear you talk about the weekends because it's something that mm-hmm. we've we've always done, always, mm-hmm. is, is do that weekend. And we'll, we can get away with charging $1,000 for a weekend. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. backing it on a, on a property that's perhaps two thousand dollars a week, so they're mm-hmm. paying that premium for the weekend. And then if they want to add additional nights, it's prorated and comes mm-hmm. up eventually to that weekly rate. And I've actually had, I, you know, I've talked to people in the industry who say, well, you know, it doesn't really fit into a nightly rate type of formula. Well, it becomes it becomes expensive if you do look at it at a night, nightly rate. But honestly, what people are paying right now in rates um, is definitely far exceeds. I remind mm-hmm. people, um, I've had guests who have contacted me to say, I stayed last summer and it was less expensive. I said, every booking last summer was a last minute booking. Whenever you booked, whether it was June or not, like it was already a rebooking, a reduced rate booking, a last minute booking. So the prices and the demand this season versus last season is definitely different. And even in comparison to prior years as well. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to your owner acquisition, because I'm really interested in in how different companies are, are managing this at this time. Because, you know, we've had a lot of churn. Uh, we lost mm-hmm. about 20% of our properties in, in the year. Mm-hmm. 
from, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've gone through, the, you've heard the same thing. People, uh, mm-hmm. owners decide just don't want to do this anymore, or they have sold because that money truck has backed in the driveway and said, you know, I'll give you a gazillion dollars for your property. Um, yes. Or in many cases, we've had um, a lot of our younger investor owners moving into their properties. They've moved out, they, they bought this, and now they're working from home, so they've moved out of the city into their home. And so a lot of reasons that mm-hmm. the inventory has gone down for a lot of, of managers. So you've got your first couple of owners. What do you do now to, to bring in? What's, what's your strategy for attracting new owners right at this moment? Well, actually, it's it's interesting um, because it's come about organically from becoming a real estate agent. I hadn't I hadn't realized it because I got my license last year. Every you know we've been quiet and sort of like underground for the last year, obviously. And um, I had my first listing go live about a month ago, and suddenly my phone was ringing from everywhere, from investors, from people wanting to move to the area, wanting to you know find good management. So um, I hadn't realized how much of a stream of new mm-hmm. new buyers and new and new folks wanting to get into the sector I would be attracting by getting into the real estate side because they also can easily recognize if you look at what's in our market right now in the last few sales you can you know if anybody's looked at what the incomes are from different properties and if you just asked hey what are the rental property you know here are the four things on the market what are your rental properties revenue and you look at those numbers and they contact me it, you know one of my the you know the buyers that I'm actually working with contacted me and said we looked at another one and said no no that that's not enough it, you know like clearly they're you know they can look at the numbers and see that it's not being managed as well as it could or up to its potential um, and having a really high quality listing in this case my first listing uh, it was a 5.0 perfect reviews 118 reviews you know all five star and great revenue um, and covering its books even at a higher price um, it's very hard to do that as a turnkey investment. Um, In this case, the property owners will sell on one day in June and the next day in June, the income goes immediately into Mm -hmm. the next homeowner. They won't even go into the property. It is, you know, they already have revenue booked Mm -hmm. before they even close. And that as an appealing offer is much more of a known quantity than buying something and having the potential of turning it into a successful vacation rental is a whole other recipe for success. Um, But it takes a whole lot longer to establish yourself than to buy something that's already proven itself and the market mm-hmm. has said it people like it and they'll pay the price for it. So so becoming um, a realtor is is a benefit to you. What what other strategies would you use um, to, to attract new owners? I think the, the main other thing is simply being in the community and being in the neighborhood. We honestly meet people, you know, now, I mean, in the last year we've met less people, but generally speaking in the, you know, the whether it's in the park or on the beach or, you know, bumping into a homeowner. Um, we're also on, we have a Facebook group. So some people end up kind of realizing that we're in the community or hearing or seeing something. And then they get to know, you know, somebody stopped me in the street drinking wine on their on their porch the other day and said, aren't you the real estate agent? And I said, yeah. She says, oh, I follow you on Facebook, you know? And so, you know, or we met people in the park who are homeowners and, you know, hear about us or, Someone came to my open house interested in in the sale of the house, and in the end, they are changing management companies to me in the summer, you know, because they were impressed with my work. So, and then they knew friends that were next door, so uh, I ended up getting another referral from them of the new house that's being licensed. So, um, at this point, my main source has been referral from one. Person, from one homeowner to another, um, from my home, my guests as well are a great lead. Um, I get contacted almost weekly from guests who are saying, I really like your properties. I'm interested in, in um, having something like this. What do, you know, what do your numbers look like? Um, and then posting my, um, uh, my listing on Virilio also attracted some attention and um, got me basically three potential buyers um, over uh, that are still looking within the community. Yeah, um, I will make sure I put, I put put a link to Rolio on the show notes because uh, yeah, it, it, it's a great resource uh, for sure. I thought, yeah, I found it to be really 
helpful and and have really good serious leads right away um mm-hmm. which was nice and i i like that you mentioned about you know the local aspect because i think we sometimes forget that we you know we get into you know all the different things we can do in terms of mail shots and you know how we get out there in the wider world to look for, for owners and then forget that we're actually there in the community and i know that tyanne marsink has done this so successfully and uh, you know one of her simple hacks is just join the chamber of commerce and yes get in there and be active and that's where you're going to meet people not just meeting those people but having the referrals from those people you meet as well and then the second thing you said was facebook groups and i'm i'm just blown over with facebook groups and how they are developing at the moment I mean, one of the things we, because all our properties are very, very widely dispersed. So one of the things we have issues with is finding cleaners in mm-hmm. one area that's five hours that way and another that's six hours that way. Um, and we just go to find the local community and just find their Facebook group and put, a, a, get, get in there and start contributing. And then we've been finding the cleaners, but not only that, we've been finding owners on there. Because ah yes, we've been asking the questions. We've got a new property coming on board. We need a cleaner, and then next thing we know, we've got oh, I've got a property I'm looking to rent. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps you can send me some information. So that's actually proving really valuable. So I'm glad you mentioned the Facebook groups. Yes, and we're we're also I've been an active Rotarian. I became an I first started traveling as a an exchange student to Finland through Rotary, and we we also transferred to the to the Lincoln City Rotary Club and are connecting that way, which is a fabulous way to connect and and meet more people. We're also um, supporting our local arts. Lincoln City is known for its glass blowing and its glass arts, and has had a decade of glass floats on the Lincoln City uh, beaches called Explore Lincoln City. And uh, now there's a parks uh, equivalent that's putting little glass eggs and mm-hmm. um, glass coins into the parks on Saturdays. And uh, Sweet Haven was the sponsor for the first time last week. Um, so that's supporting Thorn Meadow Glassworks. And it's just a great way to both, I can send guests there to create their own art. You can book an hour session and even a seven-year-old or you know someone who's small like that can, you know, our son walked away with a beautiful glass egg. And I actually have on my desk um, this commemorative glass, which has um, ash in it from my father. Um, And that is a great memento. There's lots of people who are obviously coming Mm -hmm. to remember somebody in their lives. And it's a a great thing that someone could take back and uh, create a a small token uh, for themselves or family members. I love that. So, you know, just embracing community and bringing it into your business is I, I hear this from a number of people and and those that do it seem to be incredibly successful. I talked to Brittany Blackman a while back from um, her uh, company down in, oh gosh, Brittany, I can't remember where it is, but I'm thinking it's, some, some, it's, 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 it's along the South Coast, um, um, 30A perhaps, um, but doing something very, very similar, just, just getting into uh-huh. the community, being part of that community, which is, which I think is such a huge benefit because it's, you know, when when you think in think in monetary terms about you know where you're going to uh, have that marketing spend going, it's something that doesn't cost anything. Yeah, and it's amazing to to see it, you know. So far, we've done ton of, two of the gla- the glass egg searches, and we haven't found ones. But even just being in the in the community in the parks and to run across other people and how excited they are when they find the the objects, it was just it was, it paid back in dividends. Even though we didn't find anything ourselves, it it made us happy to be able to support that. Uh, we're also partnering with the local Portland and uh, Oregon is is into its coffee, and so uh, we're also partnering with Left Coast Coffee. Uh, left left bank coffee sorry and um providing nice local roasted coffee oh that's excellent i love this love these ideas so um let's let's move on to more operational things what what marketing platforms are you you know how are you getting your word out to guests well i have a newsletter with uh, more than 2000 people and i had been on mailchimp up until recently i actually just past the, the 2000 or the 2500 uh, threshold, I think, uh, for payment there. But I ended up finding Flowdesk, um, which is very, very similar to MailChimp, but has 
a, I would say would be even easier from my experience. I've been on MailChimp, I don't know, a decade or something, but using Flowdesk only once, I had an, just as easy of an experience or better um, using it. And it came out very professional. I got, I, I had excellent comments. I'll have to mm-hmm. forward it to you to show you what it looked like. I did a fun post that showed um, five of our top reviews of the home that I was selling that I just you know, pulled off of our one and had the pictures and it was just really nice flow and, and felt much more modern than a mm-hmm. newslettery kind of feel that MailChimp gives you um, that feels a little dated at this time. Yeah, that, that's great. So yes, I'd love to see an example of that. So I've got a note mm-hmm. of Flowdesk and we'll put that in the show notes as, as, as well. Whereabouts are you advertising? We're, we're advertising to our return guests. Uh, mostly. Um, we also um, we also have our small advertisement on bags that are coming out at our local hardware store. We ended up um, doing that. We've done we've done some other marketing uh, locally on like tabletops one year pre-COVID, um, but I, I didn't feel that some of those things made as much of a difference. I think that one of the biggest drivers for us has been Google and getting on Google Maps. And I'm also a higher level Google reviewer. So it gives you extra credit for finding places, reviewing them, and then helps to establish the credibility of your listing further. So you, you can both, you know, kind of create a custom map for your guests as well as um, help um, boost your rankings as well. Oh, can you expand on that a bit? Because I hadn't heard that. As a tactic. But- yes. Yeah. So basically, if you if you review places, you get certain um, you get certain credit for putting on a review, putting three photos, you get more credit than getting putting on one photo, et cetera. So the more you review places, the more it credits you as a user by being a like a advanced Google reviewer. But by being in that category, it takes you more seriously um, by having established that credibility um, because they obviously like you using their platform. So the more you use it, the more it sort of pushes up your your own performance as well. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't heard that one. Are you using the OTAs? Um, yes, I still am. I'm definitely. I'm. I'm. I'm with you on on. If 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 I were braver, I would have made the made the jump already. We'll see. Maybe maybe by the fall time, I'll, I'll be there. But um, I haven't. I haven't yet. But I'm very close. Um, and I feel that my my clientele and my return guests um, would would benefit from it as well as as well as myself. Um, it, <laughs> I, I I can't say it's not from a selfish move as well. So, uh, so what do you use? Airbnb? Yeah, Airbnb, VRBO. Then I have um, my own site, which I manage with OwnerRes. So I have both an OwnerRes site um, as well as a WordPress site, um, both mm-hmm. of them that kind of inter- interact with each other to, to get the best of both. Okay. And I hadn't, I, I've just realized, I don't think I even mentioned the name of your company, which is Sweet Haven, <laughs> Sweet Haven yes. Rentals. Once again, that will be yes. a link at the, end of, uh, at the end of show notes for anyone who wants to take a look. You must have faced some challenges along the way. And we know, you know, COVID has been the biggest challenge, but what, what else have you had to deal with? Uh, well, I think that COVID was definitely a test for me. Having the public health background that I have, I, I've responded in, you know, to cholera and other, you know, other epidemics. Ebola was what I was responding to in Uganda. Having had that background, it made it very hard for me to to feel like my my reaction was an overreaction necessarily. And uh, and you know, I ended up closing ten days before. Uh, we were forced to. Um, so you can imagine there was some pushback from guests who were being canceled who didn't quite understand that it was even what was about to happen. So that was the challenge. Um, and then for us, it, you know, last year it was it was just dealing with all of the cancellations and how like draining that experience was for us, having to spend just hours and hours on the phone on hold music, dealing with it, you know. Um, I was uh, I I had a a strong sense of justice in terms of getting refunds back, so I figured out ways to basically force that they would also refund funds. But it meant essentially that it cost me an hour to two hours per reservation mm-hmm. to deal with it. Um, but in the end, I managed successfully to get full refunds in cases that most get most hosts wouldn't have gone to that much effort to have given a full refund and and you know kind of mm-hmm. gone to that level. I think aside from that, um, I mean, everything is everything is solvable. It feels like we had one robbery that was that happened between two homeowners, um, which for anybody else would have been kind of an extreme situation, which it, it which it was. I diverted my plans and came with an infant and stayed there and, you know, dealt with sort of the you know aftermath of it. Um, you know, but of it, like I also got a reputation from people who was somebody who would come and stay in your house and give you a list of everything that was, you know, damaged or dealt with. And, you know, 
took picture, you know, handed over a file of, you know, here's 200 pictures and all of the descriptions of what I've been able to find. Maybe I missed something, you know, meanwhile, the, the homeowners next door, you know, we're told to let us know when your home is ready and we'll open it up again. And just how you deal with an emergency and how you're, you respond, um, people notice that. So even though mm-hmm. the COVID cancellations were just, you know, absolutely draining and we, we bloodlet money and just hemorrhaged. And, you know, right now we, you know, we managed to come out on top like a Phoenix the year later, but a year ago, if you talked to me, it was, it was a really challenging, we were upside down, you know? And so to be in that place and to still like hold tight to like, yes, I believe that you deserve your refund because it's the right thing to do and not feel tempted by scarcity to think that I can't come, you know, come out on top in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a lot to, to sort of hold, hold true to that and, and just navigate um, through all of it, as well as the disappointment from guests who couldn't be hosted in the fall time. We faced lots of regulations when we were at extreme. Uh, we're only allowed to, um, to host two households for under, of, of under six or one household of, uh, of over seven. So with only three weeks notice, I had to cancel nine out of 10 Thanksgiving bookings. So dealing with those types of, you know, that type of disappointment from people and trying to navigate that um, has definitely um, honed my skills and sort of dealing with worst case scenarios. We also had fires that happened in the West. We were in the evacuation zone and went to sleep one night right after Labor Day with you know, no cell service, no electricity, no connection to the outside world and on an alert status. So, you know, monitoring all of our homes and, and cleaning them after the guests had left um, because our team had evacuated. So this year has been a trying one. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the rest of us just had to deal with COVID, but you, <laughs> you, had, you had other things to deal with as, as, as well. I mean, certainly it's, I think for every property manager, um, it's, it's been, it's been a trying time, but it's also been a, a, a real learning experience. And, and I think if we can take that in to emergency planning, as we go forward, we're all going to be in a better situation. So we have, you know, it's positive coming out of it. Um, yes. Mayel, if you're advising a pro- new property manager, who's entering the business for the first time, what's, what are the most important pieces of advice you, you'd give them? Ooh, important pieces of advice. Um, I think in general, I mean, people need to know about real estate, that it's not looking at real estate as passive and realizing that a business like this takes a lot of work and a lot of dedication. And there's no, you know, you don't have room to, you don't have room to just like take the night off or just say like, oh, I'm done with this. And, you know, not like you just don't have a choice. So, you you know, kind of like I was an early days blogger. And and once you start going, you realize if you're not consistent, then, you know, then you're sort of nothing. And you either, you know, you have to stick with the topic and be willing to to do it in the long term and realize like how many skill sets and how many different angles you're going to have to deal with. I think some people get into real estate or rentals because of the income, but they don't realize what it takes from a personal basis. There, you know, I make more money from my stock sitting there where I don't do anything. You know, where this I I bust my butt to you know to respond to guest demands at all times, and this this it takes a lot to manage it all. Um, but I think I think that if you've got the right recipe, then I, I think that there's a lot of success out there for people, and I I hope that we have you know more people who are bringing high quality. Uh, hosting to the sector. I think that uh, for me, being a host rather than simply being a manager is what sets us apart. And I I hope that my recipe for success is also not just my own and that it can be something that other people could replicate and be successful with. So you're telling me that you can't make a million dollars through Airbnb without lifting a finger? (laughs) Yes, that's what I'm telling you. I'm sorry, Heather. (laughs) I hate to break the news to you. I keep getting these emails. (laughs) I know. <laughs> <laughs> you might make it when the cash truck, you know, backs up to your house. Yes. But in that case, in that case, you sell and then you don't have all the work. I mean, sometimes when my homeowners sell, I'm like, you can honestly, you can come back on vacation. It's cheaper. If you do the math on, you know, what you're, you know, with certain investments, it's yeah. not actually worth it. Um, so I think people realizing that. And and also when you buy a vacation rental, you're also really buying a business. Um, most people get into it from emotional reasons or mm-hmm. they finally have the financial capacity or some aspect of that without really truly realizing what that you're that yeah. you're building a business um, and the seriousness that it takes to to make it work over time. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd, I'd need to ask you is, you know, you've either, you're either like Tyan Marsink and you have 36 hours in your day as opposed to the 24 <laughs> that everybody else has, <laughs> or you have some staff. 
Um, uh, honestly, I wish I wish I could say I had more staff. <laughs> um, I'm I'm actually um, looking at hiring both uh, locally and um, considering what I can set up as a a type of virtual host um, mm-hmm. to try to attract people to be able to provide their services in hosting from other locations because I believe that there's such a a great what vast network of hosts who have great qualities and would make great hosts um, and might be easier to fill needs and be able to you know, have time off, et cetera, uh, where right now my husband and I, you know, balance things between ourselves um, uh, for a large part, but you can imagine that gives us um, very little time off at this particular time. So I look forward to a day when I can, you know, actually just take a night off this summer or something like that will actually be a, a huge relief. So but you you have cleaning staff, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. We have a, we have a large uh, cleaning team and um, we laugh because our our cleaner only predates uh, my husband and I by six months. Um, we've, they've, uh, she's been with us for for um, more than five years now, and we we have a really dedicated team as well as um, great handymen um, that are a father son team that we met through our connection with Rotary. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our team has come to us for through through referrals through connections. Um, my tip as well in finding team members or staff is um, one being willing to talk to people and um, just get out there and ask. Um, we got, you know, our first cleaner was referred to by someone who is at our local uh, cafe waiter who referred us to someone. Um, The other thing is the better Spanish you speak, um, that will serve you as well. Uh, My Spanish is on the, has capacity, but rusty. My husband's is very fluent and he, you know, only uses Spanish with with our team on most times um, and myself a little bit back and forth, but it makes a big difference in being able to communicate well and um, just build the team. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so so you are a bit of a Wonder Woman, Superwoman. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, right now I'd love to like pass my cape over to somebody else so we can like share that. That's that's my goal. Um, I'm working with Alana and Tyan to uh, outsource and build my team. That's that was our conversation yesterday that we had on our uh, pod call. So um, this is this is a challenge of 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 anybody who's built an empire is you know being able to. Um, add to your team members and uh, and build. Back in in Africa, I managed six, a, a team of six hundred at one point, um, and you know managing all country directors locally. So it's it's a small scale operation in comparison, but it's just as complex and has as many different things moving as uh, managing millions in Africa. So, well, you, you've you've got the skill sets. You've just got the skill yeah. sets, and and you will get the people to come in and fill those. So that's that's fantastic. Um, before we before we wrap up, I just want to ask you about the technology platforms that you're using that makes your business more effective. Now you said you you use Onares, but you're not using revenue mm-hmm. management software. Is there anything else that uh, that is that? Oh, and and what was the the other one when you mentioned was was the Flow uh, Desk. Flow desk. Flow desk, yes. What else um, is helping you become more efficient? We also use EasyCare in connection with owner res, um, which we found to be good um, so far. Um, the one solution that I'm trying to hone in on is um, communications with home- homeowners, particularly around tasks and being a more effective tool. We use Slack between our team members and then our we use eVoice for our phone line and that helps us to have one central line where we can request mm-hmm. guests or homeowners to communicate with that line so either of us can pick up so it's not just coming to my phone. Um, or, you know, or we'll have homeowners trying to ping us to both phones, et cetera. And you're like, no, <laughs> you have to have to communicate to one line. But I've honestly wanted to uh, I've been considering the workflowy that you that you've used. And I'm, I'm very curious and would love to hear more, even if it's off uh, uh, <laughs> offline later. I, I was just going through my workflowy this morning. And, you know, I've used it for a couple of years and just for like a general to do list. But I'm now using it much more effectively in setting out projects and project management and for a free tool can't go wrong with it really yeah so uh, so yes we can come back on that one um okay in this in this last year what have been the most important things you've learned about about the business that you can take forward well i think i think the biggest thing is realizing that there are going to be ups and downs and managing with both of those um, because it's it's easy to get excited when things are great and then to to you know when they're good they're good and when they're bad they're bad and you need to sort of realize that the balance between yeah. the two is the sweet spot um, rather than thinking that you're going to eliminate the lows that are out there in a sense um, and dealing with I mean we've all dealt with 
bad guests, bad homeowners, bad whatever, you name it, like it's going to happen. So as a, as a rule, if you're, you know, the other advice to a new manager would be something's going to bad, bad is going to happen. It's going to happen like on your first day. So be, be prepared for like the glass door to fall down off your shower. Like happened to me on my very first guest. I swear it wasn't the family with the two kids <laughs> who was hanging from the glass door. I'm pretty certain it's because it was a new house, but you still have to, you know, explain to the homeowner that it's not the end of the world and we will get through this. It will get prepared. We'll manage it, you know, but it's not the phone call you want, um, but you have to deal with it when it when it does show up. Yeah, I think that's that's such a good point. Being pre- being prepared for absolutely any eventuality. Yes, um, I, I've certainly learned that learned that over the past twenty years. <laughs> so you said you were going to you you've got fifteen properties uh, at the moment. You you think you should have twenty by the end of this summer? What are your goals for? the next five years, say? Um, I would say the next five years, my my goal would be to basically be scaled up to to be able to provide the same level quality of performance to all of the vacation rental homes in the community that, that are a match for that. Um, mostly targeted within our immediate Olivia Beach um, HOA, but a little bit of the surrounding areas. I have two clients sort of within a block of our community, um, so it's not specific to the HOA. But generally speaking, covering covering the vacation rental needs of our community and also expanding those services to recruit and and share with people the opportunities of co-locating in different in different places because ourselves before we came out to the coast for the first five years of our marriage we rented out our home on airbnb in portland and traveled in the summer so we were vagabonds and basically paid our mortgage and our rent by you know renting our place out on airbnb and then doing you know startup work that we were doing within the nonprofit sector then and i think that if people realize that they can stay in a place of paradise for some of the year and then go someplace else for some of it we have a a lot of snowbirds mm-hmm. that just leave their home empty for the rest of the year because they just want to keep it their own. But if they realize what that potential really was and that it could be managed well and how much, you know, they could be passing on to their family, it, you know, just because you have money doesn't mean that you shouldn't treat your investments well um, and maximize what you can you can do with that with that property. So I think that I have actually my first homeowners who will be taking that approach and they are settling. They just closed last month. They're settling into their home uh, and making it theirs now. And then they're going to be going on three longer trips um, during the summer where I'll host for them. Um, So I'm excited to see them as a model for somebody could do and kind of being here some of the time and, you know, being in another place part of the time and, and, and mixing. Cause I I think that's a niche that most of our community is either your vacation rental or you're long-term or unoccupied when you're not there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if people realize that it's doable um, and what the advantages of, of a lifestyle like that can be. I mean, when we traveled, um, our first trip was to Washington, D.C., and we flew to D.C. on, you know, first-class tickets, thankfully, from all my from all my uh, frequent flyer miles, you know, stayed at the Mayflower right next to the White House and still made money by renting our place in Portland. <laughs> you know, people people don't realize that that's actually possible. You don't have to, you know, you you do have more flexible freedom once you own a home and, and could share it that way um, if you have a model. So, you know, having a vacation home like this that... Um, that really makes top revenue, makes that model even make more sense um, for people than it did before. Well, it sounds like you've got the uh, you know, pretty perfect formula. I think your homeowners are very lucky to to have you. And so I, you know, I, I wish you every good fortune in, in growing this company and stay in touch, uh, Mile. I'd love to hear how, how it grows. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think the listeners will have taken a lot from this in terms of, you know, one thing that has struck me was about your, your community focus and, and how important that is for the growth of your company. And if that's, you know, that's one thing that we, we all get out of this conversation is that perhaps we should be coming a little bit more hyperlocal. I completely agree with the community focus. And I feel like that's one of the things that I bring from being a a Peace Corps volunteer and having served at that community level, I kind of laugh because I think of my my village in Africa actually had oyster shells um, lining the path because it was on the Volta River and our our home and our community in Olivia Beach um, has crushed oyster shell um, <laughs> path. So it's it's kind of ironic um, that I'm queen mother um, in Africa and, it, you know, but now living in a you know luxury community on the Oregon coast. Um, it can balance both worlds um, in, in interesting ways, but uh, it's really nice to be able to give back and and 
be part of that community and and contribute in ways that um, that really helped bring it, all the you know value to our community in 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 ways that was lacking before. Well, you've brought a lot of value to our audience today. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, Heather. I really appreciated this. Well, that was great, Mile. Thank you so much. It was just a real pleasure talking with you. I love these stories of how people start out in the industry. It's why just about every interview I've ever done has started with that question. How did you get into the vacation rental business? And so many of the stories are are similar. You know, you start out by managing your own property and then you decide that, you know, you're doing it pretty well. Somebody asks you about your secret. What is your secret to having so much occupancy And then they say, well, hey, you know, manage mine, can you? That's how it happened to me. Well, actually not quite because I coerced my sister into buying a property first of all and then letting me rent it for her. But the others came shortly afterwards because of that, because of I did something different than what the other agencies were doing at that time. And the same thing for Miles. She did something different. And I think the focus on community and on being hyperlocal is extremely important. And I do understand that there's a number of people listening who do property management from a distance. They do it remotely. But I still think it is super important to absolutely know your location, to join the local chamber, to join the local tourism department, to have your voice in the community, to have your voice heard, even if you don't actually live there. So that was such a great conversation. And thank you so much, Mile, for for joining me on it. I am looking forward to meeting you in person at the Vacation Rental Women's Summit in December in New Orleans. Apart from the fact that we are still locked down at the moment, uh, hopefully, hopefully only another 10 days to go and we may open up. Um, But it looks like, you know, things are a little bit more on the up here in Ontario. And I am fully expecting to be down in Alabama in October, November, and then be in New Orleans for that conference. Can't wait. So as I say, over the course of the next couple of months, I'm going to be talking to more of the great women in our industry And, you know, as sort of Adam sent me an email saying, this is my wife and I think she should be on your podcast. I am always super happy to hear from anybody who would like to nominate somebody that I can talk to about their journey in this industry. So, so let me know. You can email me at heather at vacationrentalformula.com and, and I will get back to you. That's it for me for another week. And May is here, so I'm out in the garden as much as I possibly can while we are in lockdown. There's nothing much to do. So I've got my staff beavering away on all sorts of different projects and and I am gardening for the rest of the day. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode. This episode was brought to you by the Vacation Rental Formula's own Virtual Vendor Showcase, your go-to location when searching for new products and services for your vacation rental business. Head across to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash VVS to find out more. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.